While ostensibly a show about emus, the MEP report is actually done by human beings. So we've hired a real emu to help tell our story. The MEP report is a funny show. The MEP report is available weekly for free download online at mepreport.com. Emus are sometimes farmed for their glands. The Map Report. Listen now. Let my home back in Omaha. See if I can make it out in the world. And I got as far as Wichita But suddenly I wasn't sure anymore Lost all my friends in Los Angeles And I'm not welcome in New York But I must stop back in Omaha where the fans, they always crying out for Alright then, welcome to the report number 117 Wanted to prove oh, it to my family Wanted to prove it to myself So, uh, what's going on everybody? Oh, I have a new client who's a Jehovah's Witness Oh really? So can you spill all the information about this client so we can mock him? No. Remove confidentiality and everything else? No, that's about all I can share. Oh, that's all you got? <laughs> we want to welcome lead her in. in. <laughs> <laughs> hey, by the way, so we're all here. Uh, What's Clear the Russ, deal Story with new clients who are Jehovah's Witnesses? <laughs> What's yeah. the deal with Discuss. <laughs> <laughs> They're neither a client nor a Jehovah's Witness. Discuss. Discuss. Hey, guys, I have a secret. What's that? Oh, good. My story's you got you a secret. You can't Sorry. <laughs> you can't know what it is, though. Okay. Oh, well, well, I guess I was, not. I was just following up Claire's lead in. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's fine. <laughs> okay. I know. That's true. No, you've done that before, Story. You've had things where you're like, I'm incredibly angry about obscure, and then there was something about the, the, the crap sandwich or something, and you had a crap oh, sandwich, and then, you know. But, you, I mean, I, yeah, there is that, I guess. That was when I feared for my job, back in those heady days of Jobfulness. Well, I just I just met her like for the that. first time today. I, just, I don't really have much to say except that she seems oh, like a nice okay. person and has some level of insight. So, gotcha. She's not a, a complete cuckoo. Are so, people who are Jehovah's Witnesses allowed to seek social services? Is that that within the bounds? Uh, those provided by Jehovah. Oh, okay. Uh, I don't know. Well, I guess really I could social. ask her, have her make sure to check yeah. in with her elders about that. But I don't know. That might not be yeah, a good see, thing because then hypocrite. she might then she might refuse. She might be a big old hypocrite. Yeah, My I don't. <laughs> these people have a. Uh, just don't. If she makes any progress, don't celebrate it. That that much I know. Just it's not a big deal. Yeah, well, that's actually how it all started. I was I was starting the intake and I was confirming her birthday, which is coming up. Right. And uh, I asked, "Oh, so what are you doing for your birthday?" And she said, "Oh, I don't celebrate." Oh, nothing. And I was like, "Oh, okay." I was never born. <laughs> <laughs> I was hatched don't by me, a god who does not exactly. recognize this as an event. <laughs> Tell me about your childhood. Oh no! <laughs> Please yeah. don't. 
I wanted, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing too much funny that can that can be said about the um, the shooting that happened at um, Fort Hood. There's nothing really amusing at all about it at all. But I, I did find something sort of quirky about the circumstances, and that is that while <laughs> what, funny, so that's, though, quirky. That's quirky. what I'm about to do is impossible. But uh, yeah. here um, we go. I, I gave, so not gave, funny, like, just quirky. Just quirky, as yeah. in like just sort quirky. of you know how about that? Do not laugh, audience. Whatever. Uh, Picture when somebody gets decapitated, but not like all the way decapitated. Right. Their head kind of like hangs off. <laughs> well, it's, well, Russ, it's not oh, funny, weird. but it's pretty quirky. It is quirky. That's, right. That's a strange thing. That's a quirk. Yeah. Well, you okay. know, it's like when people say funny and they don't mean funny. Anyway, I, I, this, mm-hmm. this is clearly, you know, that sound uh-huh. you hear is uh, iPods turning off all over the country. Anyway, um, I, I don't hear anything. was struck by, um, as everyone now knows, the alleged shooter uh, was a guy who was a army psychologist um, whose job was basically to counsel soldiers. Uh, who had come back from, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan and various other places around the world. And I I was having a discussion with someone, and he sort of put it into clear contrast for me, and and it works this way. I heard people being interviewed about, you know, what happened. And as usually is the case, these people are like, it's so shocking, I wouldn't have expected it, he seemed so nice and quiet. You know, like, no one's ever like, oh, yeah, that guy was a ravening lunatic. Like, I knew he was, you know, you know, everyone's like, oh, he's so nice and quiet, blah, 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 blah. I don't know, Sangeet Cho, I think a lot of people were like, I think this guy may shoot me at any time. That's that's a good point. Okay, that's fair Did you say he was a therapist? Uh, He's a therapist, right. So is that going to be the new joke of... so here's... No, here's... so Don't bother me, or I'll I'll go therapist <laughs> I'll go on therapist your ass. On your ass. So here, no. Unfortunately, there'll be uh, plenty of. Instead, it'll just be a lot of uh, Muslim race baiting instead. So we'll get we'll get that instead. But so the thing that I found interesting was he and this this person that I was speaking with. We ended up likening it to a kindergarten situation. Um, he was talking about how his girlfriend's daughter is five years old, and she goes to kindergarten. And in kindergarten, they te- they were doing this thing where they were painting the walls of their room. Because, you know, they wanted to paint the classroom, and so, you know, they thought it would be nice to get the students involved, you know. So the kids all painted Mm -hmm. the wall of the room. Then the kid got home and, you know, found some crayons. And what do you think the kid does in her room at home? Paints the wall. Sure, because, you know, they they taught them at school. That's what you do. I mean, that's what we did in kindergarten, so they thought it would be nice. Okay. Here's how this complies to the Fort Hood shooting. (laughs) Um this guy spends all of his time counseling people. We wind these people up incredibly tight and then send them mm-hmm. overseas. And this guy himself had been on tours of duty and was going on another tour of duty himself. And after we tell these people, after we allow them, you know, they go out and they shoot people and they kill people and whatever, then they come back and then apparently they're not supposed to, if you will, paint the wall of the room. Like they get back and at that point it's like, okay, now shut that all off. And, you know, don't kill anyone else. Yes, you've been conditioned to do this, but now you can't do it anymore. So just continue to go back to what you were doing. I, I guess I don't understand what seem, what is so shocking about the fact that we wind these people up tighter than a drum, and then they come back and they lose it, and we're all, you know, shocked that this happens. Right. You know? And, and I just was amazed that the sort of, the kind of, I mean, not amazed, I suppose. I understand that there is a double standard in a lot of society, but that, that there wouldn't be even more of an attempt to kind of acknowledge that. Like, well, yes, they do, we do send them out, we do turn them into killing machines, but, and I know this right. guy was a therapist and not a killing machine, but he counseled killing machines. You know what I mean? So, like, right. you know, he was constantly exposed to that kind of you know violence and and that sort of that sort of barely repressed rage and the idea that then people would be shocked that he would process that rage in this way i don't really i don't know it seems odd to me yeah that's hilarious <laughs> i said uh, it was quirky and now i know <laughs> interesting note maybe two uh last night i saw the movie the men who stare at goats 
which is sort of related to this. It's about uh, an early uh, American army program to invest resources in investigating uh, psychic abilities, uh, new age concepts as it relates to warfare. Okay. And basically, I mean, the movie by all accounts was a disappointment and every review that I've read since that I wish that I'd read, that I'd read earlier talked about that, how it was totally disappointing because it sets up as it seems like they tried to create a Coen Brothers movie from the outside. Like they took every major star from a Coen Brothers movie, like Jeff Bridges from The Big Lebowski. This isn't a Coen Brothers movie. It's not. It, oh, okay. it totally appears as a Coen Brothers movie. Mm-hmm. It features stars from Coen Brothers movies. It has a weird plot and a weird title and sort of quirky-looking actors and all of the these same idea of aspects. a really great premise and a really disappointing like slapstick execution. Yeah. And it seems as though what they succeeded in was a great marketing campaign to get people interested in this. And they even have Ewan McGregor in the movie. And since there are a lot of references to Jedi, which is what these uh, soldiers are training themselves as, as psychic Jedi warriors, it's very funny to have him talk throughout the movie about training to be a Jedi. But (laughs) other than a few sort of lame Jedi references and enough clips to put together uh, a promotion for the movie, there literally is no story at all. Nothing happens. There's no arc. There are no powers. There's no payoff to anything that you see in the trailer. The whole trailer is literally every best scene of the movie. <laughs> nice. And you don't you don't find out anything new going to see the whole thing. And the trailer looked god awful. So <laughs> I, I thought it looked funny like, in a wow. kind of inglorious bastards kind of way. I guess. Well, it just it reminds you of so many good movies. I mean, you have the Big Lebowski, the dude Jeff Bridges, you know, training the army of psychic spies, which seems like a hilarious concept. You have George Clooney in what seems like exactly the same capacity as Three Kings, which was a great movie about the Gulf War. Still haven't seen. i got to get on that. Obviously, The Big Lebowski was also about the Gulf War. So given that this was another movie about the current Gulf War, you figured they could make some of that, that good movie mojo out of these parts. But uh, it never, never happened at all. It was a total waste of time. Huh. I guess when you add goats, it just goes wrong. And the goats aren't even in the movie. They get totally extraneous to the plot. It's like, okay, so they were training and trying to learn how to, you know, uh, win battles through a peace and love mentality. And then one day when the program became corrupted, they decided to see if they could get their newly trained psychic spies to kill goats with their mind. And the one most uh, talented one, played by George Clooney, did this, and he felt like this cursed him because having killed a goat, he then had turned himself to the dark side of the force and put a curse on the rest of his uh, psychic program participants, and then that's it. At the end of Goats. They're, I mean, at the end of the movie, they sort of randomly release some goats in a vaguely symbolic act. In a, from pen. <laughs> a vaguely symbolic act. Like, but it, not, nothing happens. Like, the goats, you know, they just... There's a pen of goats for some kind of testing, and they release the goats. Well, Russ, like, but it sets up big time for a sequel. I mean, what what happens goats. to the goats? The goats. Lambs. You know, exactly. Silence of the goats. The goats who stare at men. That's obviously next. Yeah. Really Did horrible. I ever tell you about the time that we talked about, we, we pretended being um, barbers at Montessori, and then I went home and asked my mother if I could pretend cutting her hair, and then I cut her hair? <laughs> for real? No. Yeah, for real. And she never had long hair again. So what could that wow. be a metaphor metaphor for, Greg? Um, Samson and Delilah? You were cutting her hair that gave her power over you? No, no, I mean like to the current day war. I was trying to oh, give oh, you another... Oh, I see. Yeah. A segue back in. Uh, I right. appreciate that attempt. Yeah, I see where you're going <laughs> <with that. laughs> uh, 
Right. Exactly. So, in other words, it's yeah. another example of you know transfer and why we're not why we why should we be shocked at transfer is basically what it comes down to. I mean, you know, like because the obvious thing, like when I when I started reading the details and I was like, oh great, great. So he allegedly shouted, "God is great" in Arabic. Well, that's spectacular. That that will certainly that will certainly you know get ready. You know, T minus two one for racism. Yep. There we go. There we go. There's the you know. And that, you know, how can a devout Muslim be allowed to do blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, great. So that was kind of obvious that was going to come around. But I just noticed that no one really had commented on the sort of psychiatrist status and the fact that he was working with these people that were deeply traumatized. And then, shockingly, he became deeply traumatized himself. Like, you know. So. Well, I mean, they do say that uh, I wonder what kind of therapy he was doing, actually, because... With 9-11, they found that trauma therapy actually needed to be a lot different than the way trauma therapy used to be. Hmm. So I wonder if he was actually doing it incorrectly or not, because they found that standard talk therapy for trauma victims actually made not only the trauma worse for the client, but also then traumatized the therapist as well. So I wonder if he was doing it wrong. Yeah, could be. Bummer. (laughs) One. One other note on this subject. Yes. Um, I was thinking of writing up a MEP report article a few weeks ago on this website that I discovered, which is called governmentaddict.org, which is basically a uh, a giant collection of all these uh, Freedom of Information Act requests that people put into the government and get government documents. And now we have thousands of released government documents that nobody cares about or looks at, but they've been released to the public. Yeah. So the website keeps track of all these things, and one of the, and I was just sort of clicking around trying to figure out if there were, was anything useful to look at, and I found one, which I will link to you guys in Skype. Is it expensive to do this whole process of releasing it to the public? I, I have no idea. I mean, I'm sure it just takes. Like, I a wonder team. if it's like millions of dollars wasted. I doubt it. It's, this seems like a fairly privately run project. Just a few people that make these public. Did it, can everyone see this in the text window? This link. No, I mean the the government releasing initially releasing this. Oh, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it costs a lot of money to go back because they have to. You know, some of the stuff is redacted and some of the stuff is approved and some of it isn't approved. Right. Um, anyway, this this document is entitled "List of all Department of Defense Officer of Inspector General Investigations Closed Between uh, January 2007 and November 2008." Yeah. And it doesn't give any personal details, obviously, because the military would never release such things. It just gives sort of a general description of each case brought before this uh, office of the inspector general. Oh, use of subordinates for personal errands. Nice. Yeah, so you have all these cases travel abuse, of travel abuse. accountability for nuclear incident. Jesus. <laughs> I love that's just sort of, like, it's like, it's like right next to like, um, improperly cooked a hamburger in the PO. And then like the next one is like accountability for nuclear incident. Like it's a wide range. It's never the same job. One occurrence that you'll note that appears repeatedly over and over again is called improper mental health evaluation referred against someone or someone or other. So basically these guys use it as punishment. If they feel like somebody is insubordinate, they'll send them for uh... mental health evaluation, which immediately ruins their military career. Regardless of whether they have a mental health issue or not. Wow. Oh, improperly referred for mental health evaluation, downgraded from instructor pilot, removed from flying status, deactivated and reprisal for filing an IG complaint against his commander. But that's, it's interesting. I mean, because it seems like you have two options if you're going to commit a crime that's going to be investigated by the Army. Either you've had a violent reprisal against someone or you've been insubordinate. Or if you're a superior, you're either misusing your power by abusing your, your underlings or you're sending them for uh, 
to the psych yeah, room. That's interesting. And yeah. I love how that becomes a punishment. How like, yeah. you know, mental health is like that destroys your career because God forbid that you actually need, you know, help, you know, mentally. Like that's you know Well, it's one of I mean, it's it's not just mental health issues. I mean there's Yes, baby what? Do describe <laughs> Whoa yes, that was I agree. I think that's I think it. that pretty much says it all. I mean, oh that... my gosh, the radio <laughs> debut of Genevieve Wilson, ladies and gentlemen. That's our daughter. That is a historical event. It was funny because she ran... You have heard it here first. <laughs> She's watching TV, and she ran over to the mic and grabbed it and was like, oh, let me have it, let me... Or, you know, she's like, please, please. So he gave it to her, and then she's like, as you just heard, does a bah, and then like gave it back. <laughs> the lift. Yep. Um, I mean, there's... Oh my mental health is not a... It's not like it's mental health is a unique um, area you, where it's wait, not... I'm sorry. Are you aware that you guys created a being that speaks into microphones? <laughs> <laughs> the children that speak in microphones. No, well, like, it this is what we were weird. Like, for, you guys, but... you did something, and then all of a sudden, this new manifested sentient being exists <laughs> that runs around on the floor and eats peas and uses microphones. That's just true. Crazy. It's colossally amazing. Yes, well... It is. It is true. I definitely think it's you know as she gets grows like every once in a while I'll look over and her and realize like that she is like a little human now because she is rather tall now. Just a just a little though, just on, around the edges. <laughs> a little, not a lot human. Ish kind of. Yeah, yeah I think, exactly. You know, and the she other day, what was it? What was it? Two weeks ago, I sneezed and she said, "Bless you." And that was another one of those moments. Customs. Yeah. Right. Possibly you could refer her to a proper mental health referral. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they all sorts of things on people's records can affect their ability to get different um, jobs or promotions or whatever, thing, stuff like that. So, But it is interesting that... I guess it is interesting that simply the referral is the issue, right? So it, 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 there's no improper... A physical referral, right? If right, it's improper... not even a diagnosis. It's just yeah. a... No, I guess that's true. Go to therapy. Oh, there goes my career. Yeah, no, I guess that's true. Because yeah. people could refer them to an allergist or something, but people aren't going to go, oh, does that mean you have allergies? No. Oh, okay. Improper Wait. allergy health referral. Right. Call him. He has allergies. Which in itself is like, you know, if you, if you want to really follow that through to its logical conclusion people's awareness of that fact is in fact a huge deterrent to seeking treatment. And so you can argue that much like every other aspect of our sort of infrastructure, we're encouraging people to bottle things up as much as possible until they explode. So the way that we treat mental health and stigmatize it. Well, I mean, that's, that that's why we have a volcanic the, protect, the privacy until laws. They go, you know, clock tower on somebody. Well, that's why we have HIPAA so. and things like that to, to try to make sure that doesn't happen. But yeah, I mean, people can still abuse the system. Okay. But yeah, to be but... fair story, if you're training a platoon of murderers, like are right. you really going to give them an emotional <laughs> outlet? Is that, you know, beneficial to your training program. Oh no, absolutely not. Okay, I mean, I you know, I mean, Greg out. is like speaking from my mindset with his opening <laughs> thing. I mean, it's something that like it's normally the thing that I expect to say, and everybody sort of stares at me awkwardly and is <laughs> like, "What? You don't support the troops? I'm sorry, I'm knee-jerk reaction prone to support the troops. I don't know what that means or what I'm supporting them. I just support the troops. Thank you and good night. So you know, like, yeah, I completely agree with that, obviously, but. You know, 
It's, it's, I mean, you know, to me, it's not even, it's, it's because that's such an incredibly oversimplified, you know, like support the troops, you know, as, as we always say, you support the troops by getting them home from, you know, needless wars. (laughs) You could start that way. But uh, beyond that, I mean, you know, like, yeah, just, just, just the idea that there was, that there's any, that there's any shock that, that this is the case. I mean, there's, there's a, and I've, I've actually read a couple of stories that are set in kind of science fiction worlds that suggest this, that really the way to handle it is you make the military not something there is no reintegration like if you enter the military basically that's it and you just stay in the military forever because you basically are ruined for anything else other than military combat and there's a school of thought that seems that's accurate now it's not entirely true because there's certainly people um, who have come back and been able to be reintegrated in society but you know i found that a lot of the people who have been reintegrated in society from the military are people who served in wars in sort of older wars in world war one you know world war two even the korean war but moving from the vietnam war on forward there are not a lot of people who have fought in any of these wars whether it be kuwait i don't know if you could say that i'd want to actually know know statistics on that that could be a lot of just media coverage i don't think people necessarily had it really easy coming back from these other wars well no i'm not saying that all of this was wonderful it's just i think that there was a sense that that the chance of integration or reintegration seemed more possible you know but whereas vietnam was the first kind of incredibly psychologically devastating war. I mean, which is not to say people who Again, went through World I War think I, that, didn't have I, that. I, yeah, I don't think you can yeah, necessarily just make that my... assumption. Hmm. I mean, you're talking about people, I mean, at least Vietnam, I mean, people that went to war at least kind of had an idea of war. We already had two world wars, while people who went to the First World War you know, we hadn't necessarily really had any of that kind of conflict, let alone been to another country or... I guess I'd be interested to see whether... They were younger and there was less restrictions and less training that they underwent. Yeah. I mean, also, I mean, you hear about a lot of people from the older wars who, like, come back, and, I mean, this is Civil War, the World Wars, Korean War, who just, like, came back and were just, like, silent all the time, you know? Just, like, did not want to say more than five words to their families and were just, like, morose all the time. And it was, again, like a volcanic reaction. Like, you got to bottle it up of, like, if I even recognize it or if I even speak about it. You know, older people in my family that my dad grew up with and things like that, that just, like, you know, if they saw anybody playing war, talking about war, doing anything about war, they would immediately put a stop to it. And if anyone asked them, they would just basically act as though they hadn't heard what had been said. About, yeah, I would you say know, it has more war. to do with it's the generation. Like complete denial, yeah. I would think it would be more of a generation thing. I mean, the people that went to Vietnam were of the generation of more outspoken. I mean, previous right. generations were more bottled up, you know, silent, you know, just it eats them up inside exactly. and they die early of cancer. While, you know, in Vietnam, those were the kids, the flower children who had to, you know, they I had a lot so. of anger. and so Also... There, that was the first war that was really on television, so you right. get a lot right. more direct portrayals of action and seeing these people break down mentally, whereas right, that was exactly. more easily hidden in the past. Oh, come on. The newsreels were completely accurate about exactly <laughs> what kind of carnage like there was. Dateline, 1935. All the blood on the newsreels. There's no accurate, too. You remember all the body bags on the... Mm-hmm. But, you know, the other thing about it, yeah. which I don't really, I mean, I'm not really sure what to say about this, but I, I see. I get the sense that, and again, this this may be completely off, but I know I've spoken to people who sort of put Vietnam and subsequent wars in a different psychological category because of this. There was you didn't have the same clarity. I mean, I guess the point is, there war is horrible no matter how you fight it. But there was a sense from some people coming back from World War II that you know, rightly or wrongly, they had fought with some kind of a general purpose. Right. Whereas nobody really knew what the hell the point was in Vietnam. You know, it wasn't even clear who exactly we were fighting and when and how and why. And so, you know. 
Now, I'm sure a story you would say, and I would probably agree in most cases, mm-hmm. not all, that, you know, that was an illusion, that, that, that there was never a purpose, a real purpose for war, and that's illusory. Mm-hmm. And I would probably generally right. agree, not entirely agree with you, but generally agree. Mm-hmm. But I think at least sort of outwardly, there was this sense that there was I a kind I of greater purpose. I guess I could agree purpose, with you, you that... Know? that they were maybe re-traumatized when they returned. While people in previous wars, it was just a difficulty of transitioning and ever getting normal again. While the people that were a part of the Vietnam War, not only did they have the trauma of through the war, but also they had trauma of when they came back, of all of the right. hatred and turmoil. Plus, well, I mean, I certainly, I certainly think there's something to what Greg is saying in terms of, like, just basic things like, are you fighting a uniformed opposition or not? Like, right, yeah. are you fighting people who like, you know, because I think a lot of the trauma of Vietnam and a lot of the people who sort of went nuts after Vietnam, um, it was coming from the fact that the people in the country were indistinguishable, like yep. the enemies and the friends yep. were indistinguishable from yep. each other because of the nature of guerrilla warfare and surreptitious warfare and all of the things that made Vietnam unwinnable for the United States. So, yeah, so I definitely think there's something to the idea of, like, you know, fighting in, you know, a war against the Redcoats or against people with really visible, like, clear battle movements and clear lines of, you know, you can see them coming a mile away, you know what exactly is going to be on the line versus any human being who comes and walks up to you may be a spy for the enemy who's about to shoot you in the head. So I think there's something to that. Also, the number of tours, too. I mean, the fact that we now, you know, these guys, most of the time they came back from World War II and, they, and that was it. Whereas, you know, these guys now, I mean, we're sending them back for three and four and five tours, you know, to Iraq and Afghanistan. And a lot of cases, you know, forcibly moving them out of, I mean, and a lot of people who never intended, you know, these National Guardsmen did not sign up to do this. They expected that they were going to be weekend warriors and spend one week in a month, you know, training at some base. And, you know, maybe they, they'd help, you know, you know, sandbag a levy or something down in New Orleans, that was going to be it. I mean, that was that was their view of what the job was. And technically, since it's the National Guard, that is what the job should have been. But, you know, the fact that we send these people back Iraq over and over and nation. over and over again, you know? Oh, sure. I know. That's true. <laughs> it's like, it's right. It's right. It borders, it borders Texas, it, it, I hear, doesn't it? Just guarding a nation, Greg. That's what counts. That's true. It's no. the National Guard. Any matter. National it's, Guard. It's only implied that it's our nation. You're in International Guard. You're in the National, National Guard. Guard. Yeah. A, it doesn't say the U.S. National Guard on most of the commercials. Right, it's a good point. National Guard. There's a little fine print that says Iraqi. I had not thought of that. That's a good point. But do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that's part of it, too, is that these these guys just go back for tour after tour after tour, and that also is causing a problem. Like, I think this guy had already been either on one or two tours by the time this happened, so. Yeah, one of them was at least three hours, so. A three-hour tour. Three-hour tour. Actually, you know, if if somehow, I mean that then, and I think that would have changed. I think that would change a whole lot if we could set it up where Gilligan was somehow involved in these tours. I think that would solve a lot of things. Because really, Absolutely. Gilligan's Island is kind of a metaphor for a lot of this stuff. Anyway, you have the class warfare between Ginger and Marianne. Uh, you have the elite of society, the doctors and the Howells, the sort of religious elite, the intelligentsia portrayed by the doctor. Um, you have the blue collar working class guy in, uh, Gilligan. And then you have the, the skipper who, um, you know, harbors a deadly secret from his past. You know, clearly that's a guy who, you know, drank too much and was kicked out of his initial skippering job. So, you know, I think there's a lot that could be said about that. And here we have a group of people who have been isolated and cast away literally and figuratively, you know, metaphorically from their society who must somehow work out these problems for themselves. I think that could be a metaphor for Iraq and Afghanistan, Gilligan's Island. I, I think it's totally, um... And a coconut-powered television. <laughs> it only works so far, damn it. I'm missing the, uh... Hey, Clea. 
Yeah. Are you aware that Facebook advises me to reconnect with you because it doesn't think that uh, you've had enough friend activity? (laughs) 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 Facebook is like, this woman hasn't had enough friends. I have. I have Make Facebook better for Clea. (laughs) I always felt like I didn't have someone in my corner, and now I do. I have Facebook. It's true. It's a new thing. Well, you. have you? Did you do it? I, I mean, what's I holding you? Do you don't need mental health support or an infrastructure that can allow you to seek it. You just need Facebook. Come on, That's all you ever oh, needed. Sweet. That. None of my other I... friends have thought about how little people contact me, but Facebook, <laughs> Facebook thought about it. It's, it right. This is becoming a new thing that like people will mock um, recommendations for sending messages on Facebook. Be like, well. Facebook told me that you're lonely, so... Oh, it's true. I just logged in. Cleo Wilson, reconnect with her. Send her a message. <laughs> oh. Normally, it's somebody else. It's somebody on the Rutgers debate team, but... That's <laughs> amazing. And it just has my... Yeah. Oh. Does it make any recommendations? Only like, we could inform to Facebook poke me that or I'm anything? talking to you right now. Yeah. Facebook doesn't quite know everything, does it? No. Does it rec- recommend to do anything in particular? No. It says send her, send her a message. Or mine says right on her wall. Yeah. Yeah. Send her a message. So. Okay. Mine, mine wants me to uh, to connect, contact you privately, whereas Russ oh, really? wants you <laughs> contacted publicly. See, it even yeah. makes like, um, a, like I noticed appropriate. You friends it makes appropriate suggestions depending upon the person. Yeah, well, well, what, how is that appropriate? I, I think well, I can't talk to you in private. And story can. I think I think yeah. that story is more of a kind of a private person. Well, Russ, you know, is all about not writing on people's walls. What? Oh, not true. What? <laughs> Nonsense. This is the exact opposite of what is real. What? Okay, what? well then maybe Facebook is trying to challenge you guys to go outside of your comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, there. Okay, there we go. Uh, yeah, you got to trust the wisdom of Facebook. How dare we question? <laughs> Well, I'm not going to question it. That when it's just recommending my friends contact me. Jeez, I'm not, Facebook's my biggest, my best friend now. It doesn't say anything to Clea, of course. It's just sort of like, hey, how's everything going? Hey, you got any messages <laughs> from friends lately? Uh, just checking. How's, how's everything's going? Is it just me or is this Facebook thing like recently over the last six months, like taking over a much, much greater portion of society than it was? Oh, yeah. That's the idea. I think it is. I that's mean, what everybody tries to do with every website is take over society, and this one is just succeeding more than. Well, definitely, than MySpace is on its way out. I think that well, a part of it is that Facebook is you know six thousand times better coded than MySpace, which is the which is a wasteland of coding. I mean, is the worst garbage. Ugh. Um, and then the second thing is that a lot of these other sites that have come in, like I belong to Red Room, which is an author's networking site, and a couple of other ones like that. But you know. Facebook is kind of red the, room, red room. I know, I know. I was just thinking about that. But like, even something like Twitter, Twitter kind of collapsed. Sorry. Well, because like Twitter is kind of, I think, is going to collapse because people are like, why can't I just do this through Facebook? You know, like I, I just don't. You know, I'm, I admit I don't understand Twitter, even though I have an account and I stopped using it. But it just seems like Facebook has got most of these. If you do social networking, which I'm kind of not doing as much again anymore because I don't have time then I think Facebook seems to have the best combination of features. And now it's got so much market share, so to speak, that, you know. Right. I, I'm afraid of Facebook. Afraid in what sense? I fear it. Um, I feel like it is still secretly an organization entirely devoted to compiling data on human beings for the purpose. Well, now for the relatively <laughs> benign purpose of uh, selling 
that data to advertisers, but maybe later selling it to, you know, health insurers or prospective employers or the government or it's just like it's just like google except somehow i feel like google is more benevolent and i don't really have any reason to. Think but that. you know that's so funny because i've heard other people say that and everyone's like it's like google but then almost always they're like but somehow google seems more benevolent to google me google can't do and, any wrong and, and it is Google's this sense propaganda that, like, is more effective i guess they are like yeah. we're all like but google is it's like we snap too you know it's like everything's like google but google is fine and good for the rest of society you know like <laughs> also <laughs> google is a publicly owned company and i own stock in google so I can feel yeah. like they have some uh, level of, uh, you know, motive. Excuse of me. accountability, whereas Facebook is just like this Zuckerberg kid could be doing anything and we don't know. And by accountability, you mean monies, the monies. I still think that the people that you know are compiling information about you are way safer than the people that you don't know. Like there are, you know, 50 other groups that have just as much information as Facebook and Google. They just – you have no idea who they are. And they have the because only ones you Facebook really sells it to them. I mean, that is part of why, but like, I just, you know, but I think that, I don't know. I mean, you know, we've been over this before that my perception is that privacy is dying rapidly and the only way to live one's life is to embrace that and just sort of go Facebook all out. is certainly like engineering that prediction of yours, I think. It's like, yeah, no, I mean, a lot of to live their are. lives completely publicly and on this, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's just the inevitable result of a, an internet based culture. Like, I think that's just. The direction we've been heading for a long time anyway and i think it's better like i honestly think that we're going to have a much better society as a result of this in the long term like i really don't fear this at all i mean well, i think there's some people who are going to misuse some things but can you give any examples of huh? what you feel about society has improved since this new phenomenon of no i just think people's communication like i just think less secrecy means less deception which then leads to better overall interaction with other people more trust you know, more like people, most of the things that people do that are private are things that they are ashamed of or that there's something wrong with or that they'd rather people didn't know for some concrete reason. Like, What if they're an inventor like, trying to come up with the cold fusion solution? You know, I you mean, don't want to put that on Facebook. I mean, I also don't believe in like, you know, particularly believe in patents, right? Yeah. Like. I would, I would, that would be great. Oh no, the cure for cancer was publicized and now anyone can use it. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit, that's a disaster. Oh no, that would actually. I mean, I always, great. I always go back to though, the one sort of thing, which I think we've all, which is that I don't, I don't really need to have people watching me having sex. Okay. What? Like, and that, the, well, cause that's, that's sort of the ultimate <laughs> privacy world. <laughs> like, what? I'm just saying. What do you mean? What have I been doing all this time with the camera? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, check this out. I paid Facebook a lot of money for that, right? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> really, this man. is such a shame. There's, there's like a, there's like a profile. Greg I you told WTF. me. See, if I had known that you objected to that, if that had been on your Facebook earlier, <laughs> then I could have known, and we wouldn't have this awkward problem that we have right now, Greg. Uh, now I got to go over and delete God the Greg Clea WTF profile. Like, what the hell is this? Why are there five thousand uh, friends? I don't understand. <laughs> Oh, uh, and it's you know, but I mean that is sort of one sort of drop drawback to the whole privacy argument is that I am not ashamed of that, but I'm not interested in you know I'm just it's private, so you know, like I, I just I think that's one thing where privacy I mean, kind of the stands last for. Wall left to crumble. Maybe that's just the thing that people think is somehow more intimate and, uh, and somehow think because it is somehow more intimate. I mean, just possibly definitionally intimate, but maybe I don't know why they would think that. will break down too. Perhaps this intimate relationship um, is more intimate. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that we need, you know, a 24-hour camera of everything that we're doing. I, I think that information is sort of categorically, like, information about what you're doing is categorically distinct from, like, being filmed every time that you pick your oh, nose or, that, like, that reminds me of a great insect. example to bring into this argument. I don't know, maybe a month ago. Okay. I'm going to try to find it. I blogged about this new British program. There it is. Um, the October 5th entry in the MEP report. British oh, I think I remember this, yeah. Is prelude to Orwellian future. Yeah, so this yeah. game called Internet Eyes, which totally basically like this, yeah. gives a huge pool of players access to uh, surveillance tapes of all around the city, of various stores or whatever. And the game, quote-unquote, is to watch the surveillance tapes, and if you see any illicit activity going on, you report it to the parent company, and then you get points. Oh, as I remember seeing this. Player. Yeah. And therefore, you know, obviously it makes these things more effective, but it also makes them more prone to, you know, racial profiling or arresting <laughs> people for doing things that, that they normally nobody would care about just because there's so much extra scrutiny because you're living, you know, so much more in public and these cameras are so much more effective with millions of people manning them than in the normal fashion. Well, what it basically is is a massive panopticon. Right, I mean, like that's basically what it is. It's a it's a massive panopticon, and we're all engaged. Sorry, I, in I it. missed the Sesame Street that explained that word. What what does that word mean? I wish Sesame Street described <laughs> panopticon. That'd be awesome. Um, a philosopher uh, named uh, yeah. Jeremy Bentham. Uh, <laughs> Our word of the day uh, is panopticon. Um, I think Jeff Black did that episode. The, <laughs> Jack Black. He is for panopticon. It's good enough for me. <laughs> panopticon. <laughs> da, 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 da. Um, Panopticon is a concept developed by, I think the philosopher was Jeremy Bentham, and basically the theory is that you have, um, it's a structure where you have a tower in the center of this jail, and it's circular, and uh, there are windows all around the tower, um, but they're basically one way, so you can only, you can see from the inside of the tower, but you can't see back in. And uh, all of the cells, it's a prison, so all of the cells are located on, in another building surrounding that central tower, and the cells are all open to the central tower. And so the theory is that you could theoretically manage that number of people with, you know, it could be like 100, 200, 300 prisoners, because you would only have a couple, you could do it with maybe three, four, five guards at most, because you be would the never... they're all... They all think that you were watching. Exactly. They never know when you're watching them and when you aren't. And the theory is that when you believe you're being watched, you are more or less, you're more likely to behave in, you know, so-called proper behavior. But didn't something else come out about that in response where they would find that actually if people think that there's a possibility of being watched at all times, they then kind of almost get desensitized to it and don't care and start saying what the fuck and just start doing things anyway? It could be, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, that is a sort of, yeah, that was one theoretical possibility. you need to punctuate it with enough actual consequences to show that there are actual results. Right, yeah, exactly. That's something we need to happen every so often. You could have the theory of that and then have, like, one drunk bastard in the tower just being like... So, and and so that's kind of the theory. And, you know, from a philosophical point of view, it's obviously really interesting because it means that surveillance becomes the control. And I do think that there... See, that's kind of the problem, I guess, story, is that one version of privacy means that everyone, no one is private with each other. And because no one is private with each other, that means that, you know, basically we all behave better, that we live a more public life, etc. But it's different mm -hmm. from that and having some other group, definable group, like the government, say, some external agency, which may not have our best interests at heart. Um, it's not our peers anymore. It's literally the government looking in on us. And that's where it gets dangerous, it seems to me. Like, I don't know how you would only make it so that individuals can see on, you know, can spy our lives I mean, and... I, you know, if we were, like, in 
a society where breathing were illegal or like, you know, you couldn't do a bunch of stuff, then I would be more concerned about this. Or if I saw us going in any sort of direction of greater limitations on our action or our speech or our freedom in any way. But this is coming alongside like this level of openness with the internet revolution is coming alongside like the greatest amount of outspokenness and sort of general advocacy and almost libertarianism that we've probably ever seen on a societal level where people have pretty much carte blanche to do what they want. And there are very minimal to no consequences of internet action. So I don't actually think the government is particularly involved or, or ferocious in this particular situation. But isn't that an issue, though, in the sense that along with this surveillance is also anonymity or along with this, you know, so-called removal of privacy? Isn't it also possible to have, you know, relative anonymity where you can just make up some handle and then spew whatever you want everywhere? And if you're clever enough about it, you can conceal your tracks. I mean, so that freedom of speech no longer is free speech with consequences is just say whatever the hell you want to whoever, whomever you want. It seems to me that that's going against the principle that we all are accountable because we know what everyone's doing. Like, I don't know what you're doing if you're like, I'm long-haired lib in, you know, Princeton or something. You know, like, I, I don't yeah. know, I don't know I mean, who you both. are comparatively. Right. That's true. I mean, you know, and that is like, I mean, I think that's why, right, that's what makes Facebook so compelling, right? That's my, that's going to be my thesis. That's why Facebook ultimately is so much better than every other thing, and that's the actual difference, is that Facebook has through whatever reasons, and it's not necessarily going to last, but I think this is intrinsically tied to Facebook's success. And as long as Facebook will be successful, it will be because of this, that you actually have a concrete, distinct identity that is your real identity on Facebook. Interesting. MySpace, there was no identity necessity. People had like seven MySpace pages or one totally like segmented MySpace page. But basically 99% of Facebook users are exactly who they say they are with their actual name or maybe their name backwards or something. But there's no attempt at ambiguity. And that's what makes Facebook so successful, whereas the rest of the Internet like is hit and miss. It's because you actually are dealing with real people. It's not avatars. It's not people masked. It's real people in real time, one account per person, one situation. And that's what makes Facebook compelling. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 certainly I mean, I actually continue to think that the most optimistic portion of today's society is the Internet in a strange way in that it's the mm -hmm. least subject Absolutely. to control. And it's gotten to the point now where it's com I think it's actually beyond the con the ability for a government agency to control because, they, you know, I hear people like, well, they could just shut down the Internet. But there are so many there are so many corporations now, even government agencies rely on the Internet. There's no way they could do that, mm -hmm. especially with, right, like, you know, so. And that's my other response about the government, right? Like, I think that in an average society, there is an asymmetry where the government automatically, because of tax collection, because of all of the additional rights that they have versus regular people, they already have a power and information asymmetry with the rest of their people. And what the Internet does is actually an antidote to that, that I don't think significantly enhances the awareness that the government has of what people are doing in part because there's also just too inf much information. There's just information overload. Like right. you would have to hire so many government staffers to go through and comb like everybody's Facebook posts for figuring out, you know, whatever non-government sanctioned activity is actually going on, to, you know, which functionally like people have trouble with. Like the Iranian protests were largely coordinated through Facebook. And the only way to stop it was to shut down the internet entirely, because if people had access to it, then they were going to be able to do things and get away with it. So I actually think it just balances out possible government advantages of information asymmetry rather than yeah. providing extra leverage for the government. Yeah, it's true. 
It's true. And it allows, no. you know, and, and obviously with us continuing to exert our, like a black hole, uh, our center of gravity on the Internet in the MEP report, you know, which itself has an enormous pull, uh, that also pulls it away from government control because, you know, there is nothing really that has the kind of gravitational impact that the MEP report has, you know, from an Internet perspective. I'm being very scientific, as you can tell, um, about it. Right. <laughs> All right, let me levy my next attack against Facebook. You ready? Um, attack against? Are you against Facebook? Hit. I don't think I don't think I am against Facebook, but I'm probably against an entity as big and powerful as Facebook having a pure profit motive and not existing in the sort of traditional internet sense for just sort of the good of the community for people to share things that the that it's all geared towards gener- turning these users into profit. Um, and here's one of the pitfalls of that. Uh, this company, Zynga, who mm-hmm. is responsible for games such as Farmville and Mafia Wars and things Zynga. like that. Right. And in extraordinarily popular. Like, I think about 60 million people play Farmville um, and like 30 million people play Mafia Wars. It has been revealed mostly by this website called TechCrunch, which is a very popular tech website. They've written a series of articles about how these games are basically uh, promoted on the basis of scamming people into taking various online advertising right. offers. Um, in the same way extra that... extra rewards and extra advantages if you sign up and give all sorts of personal information. Exactly. So in the I same found way, this out because I play Farmville, and I was like, huh, I can't do very much unless I do these offers. And I looked at the offers, and a couple of them looked obviously scammy, and I'm like, well, this, you have to click through three screens. Oh, wait. The second screen is give me all your information that you've ever seen. And I promptly <laughs> opted out of doing any of those. Yeah. I pretty much turn every single yeah. one of those apps always down because they always like, oh, it just requires you to access your computers. I'm like, no, that's not happening. Right. And so I pretty much turn that. I mean, like, and I honestly, my other problem with it is that I just don't, uh, I, I have found myself getting away from Facebook again because I just, I find that like, it, it just seems to me that I, when I'm right, again, this is the same problem writing about life. I could be living it. Like I just, I just don't feel like I ever have the time. I don't, I don't know. I'm sure it's not just me, but I just feel like I never have the time to update what the hell I'm doing. And I just wonder if it's a way of thinking about the world that I don't get. I also don't like how long things take. It all takes too much time. Like I guess if I thought it and automatically updated, then I maybe wouldn't mind as much. But that's one of the reasons why I've never been able to, um, I didn't, like keep a journal or anything like that, because I just can't seem to write fast enough, and it's all just. As I'm thinking it and writing it, new things come to my head, and it just like this is never ending spiral of being overwhelmed. I think as as Clea is talking about her dislike and misuse of Facebook, Facebook is sending out like its uh, its mental choke waves to try to choke the voice out of <laughs> choke waves. Don't slander me, Wilson. Well, I don't. I don't, I don't I'm see. I'm trying to get people to write you. Well, I don't see anything. You know, any pokes or any messages from anyone. So She's obviously, like... <laughs> Facebook is not no longer my best friend because. It doesn't Don't actually follow through. The she, she's like, we're on the internet right now. Come on, Lord Facebook. No one believes in your... <laughs> I find your lack of faith disturbing. So what was the rest of your point, Russ, about... Uh, so the point is that you get a lot of these predators that show up right. and take advantage of the system of encouraging people, yeah, to play a game and building in all of these incentives to share the game with their friends. And basically, the product in and of itself is a thinly veiled game to get people to sign up for scammy offers and right. a lot of really shady, like the most, it seems 
according to this series of articles, the, the, the businesses that are most likely to be affiliated with these games are like the most scammy organizations you can come sure. up with who make money off of a few clicks because they know that they can you know, uh, sell somebody's credit card information to somebody else or that they can right. have a membership. They're like the people who call me and leave messages. Yeah, exactly. And that those are the people. Yeah. And, and are people that, supposed and to call you and not leave messages? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just... Yeah. <laughs> okay. No, have you been reading my posts about, like, Scam of the Week that, like, different businesses mailing me things or calling and leaving messages that are just like... I don't think that hey, question could you, go well at all. I don't you, think there's any way I can answer that question story and not be in trouble. <laughs> you there. Leave us money. Don't don't you owe us m- money. You. Whoever, whoever's listening to this. Yeah, you. Must owe us money. Call, call us back. Yeah. I wonder if so, eventually we're just going to get to the point where they're not even going to try to be subtle about it. They're like, we want your money. Please give it to us. Like, they're not even going to be like, just like, you know, give us $10. Just give us $10. Why? Just give us $10. It doesn't matter why. Are you a Nigerian scam? No, we're not a Nigerian scam. I'm some guy who lives in the basement of his, with his parents in Michigan. Just give me, give me goddamn $10. Give me $10. There's a John Cusack movie like Better Off Dead where the little kid chases him around for his $2. I want my $2. Dollars, give me my two dollars. <laughs> One of the great, great uh, underrated films of the 1980s, with the uh, the two guys, the two Asian guys who learned to speak English by listening only to Howard Cosell. Uh, yep. Proud words from a proud man. Yeah, the argument is that because of the way this is structured, that the most successful games on Facebook will always be run by the the least uh, value oriented organizations because they they are better at these viral campaigns of getting 20 people to sign up for this mm-hmm. sign up for that and they designed a game it's all based on selling people's money or rather selling right. information to uh, unscrupulous organizations yeah but, but I mean you know it's just about having the right attitude within this world I think like I think once one lets go of the idea of personal privacy and <laughs> is very like careful with guarding the few things that like have to be private in some way so you know like I don't know, uh, for Greg, access to uh, sexual imagery or whatever. And for, you know, for, uh, um, you know, for most people, like their credit card numbers or maybe their address or something like that. Like very For most people. Things. He's like, oh, Greg, you know, his yeah. weirdo thing about not wanting to show himself having and sex. And for everybody else, you know, normal internet, people, yeah. it's credit cards. No, no, you know what I mean. I'm just being silly. But, yeah, for, okay, for most of us, all of these things, right? But, like, other than that, you know, like, I think that where people get into trouble is where there's a gap between what they expect to be kept private and, like, what everybody else is going to, you know, what privacy standards sort of the rest of the world is actually behaving with. Yeah, I think definitely the, the, conflict comes, the conflict comes when they thought there was a certain level of privacy that they find out what actually wasn't there. You know, when they realize they didn't actually right. have control over the situation. Right. And so I think that, like, if you sort of, I don't know, give in to the power of lack of privacy. <laughs> you know, no. Like, you know, if you just sort then of change care. the expectations about what is going to be private and then are very careful to guard the few things that you still do care about being private. Like, don't sign up for something because you want 10 extra dollars in Farmville. But what and, happens like, if sell even, your information like, like even that. you story, maybe what happens when even you <laughs> find out that the certain level of security you had doesn't exist? Well, I mean, I haven't gotten to that point, right? So obviously, like, that's a big, <laughs> I'll that's cross a big that question. I'll that bridge like, and I come to it. Everything's fine for now. Like, 
you know, like I, it's, I'm hard pressed to come up with a lot of things like that. Like, obviously I, I, it's mostly about access to financial things, but I, I also think that like, even that is sort of a fool there. like, I think that actually in a world of complete publicity and complete openness, it would be impossible to commit identity theft and it would be impossible to steal anybody's information because you could just document through the publicly available records that you didn't do whatever you're attributed to doing and then your money will be refunded, that it was somebody else who was scamming you. Like, if there's actually enough full publicity, that is itself an antidote to the things that we consider that need to be private. I don't private. see how so, public knowledge suddenly makes people believe you you could just like say that no i'm just saying that like okay for example imagine that we're you know taking it a step further from where it is imagine that like you're talking about you said you know i don't want to keep a blog or a journal because it's so much effort i wish that i could just think it and it would pop up you know as Mm -hmm. as my own record imagine we live in that society where absolutely everyone has like a you know three to five minutes chronicle of the significant things that are going on in their life and it just pops up on a text website or something as a, as a chronicle of all of these things. Then if somebody else spends your credit card money, then that shows up on their thing. It doesn't show up on your thing. It's oh, instant oh, proof oh, that oh. you're not the one who is spending that, and then it's fraudulent, and the thing gets rejected. So, so they, they would have, you know, we would have no control over, over what was submitted? It just well, randomly I mean, everyone's like, like, this is it, sort of taking it the next step further of, like, okay. ultimate publicity of information. So I think that actually, I mean, it's terrifying to most people. Does that mean they're going to, like, things that I think about, like, that maybe I don't want people to know, just the things that I I just think think about might be posted? I think thoughts are pretty well, I I find a a big bright line between thoughts and actions. So I find publicity But if it's coming from my mind, how is this computer program going to know the difference? Okay. I mean... (laughs) Just go with me. Well, all right? fine. Go with me on the situation. Stop like, confusing. It's not exactly what you're talking about. My point is a okay, level no of attention publicity. To behind the curtain. Okay, no attention to what's behind Comple- the curtain. Sorry, complete publicity out. about actions. Right, okay. I which I'm very comfortable with. Yeah, okay. once it starts to get into thoughts, I start to get a lot less comfortable very quickly. Okay. Fortunately, we are a long way, if not impossibly far, from having people's thoughts. So okay. I'm not particularly concerned about that. And I don't see any precedent out there for, like, that's where this stuff is going. So it's well, just like a three to five minute chronicle. Why, why is this artificial barrier all of a sudden not good for, like, why is that a necessary privacy zone? I don't understand the difference. Why, why I is that? I mean, largely because I don't think we have complete control over our thoughts. That's the main answer. Russ like, does. <laughs> I think what I want every nanosecond. <laughs> what well, Russ yeah, becomes I mean, whatever. true like, reality. I, Russ is also never going to die, so, you know, Russ yeah, is capable right. of all kinds Russ of does not play by the rules of the rest of the world. mortals cannot, yeah. So, I mean, well, that's part of his that's training really to I... get his doctorate, you see, that he has full control over his thoughts. Right, exactly. Right. Just in case this exactly. came up. So, I mean, I think that's that's the issue. Like, things that you can completely control, like, then it's obviously there's a positive incentive to have people control what they can control but thoughts being beyond people's control like you can have all sorts of backlash for things that people don't have the ability to control and that seems well i mean you could make the same argument that you know you're also not really in control of your actions 100 yeah but i hate that argument people have many chances (laughs) yes i could make it but that argument is terrible and wrong well no 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 because this is this is where you go into the realm of of one of uh, story's major pillars of why he thinks that people shouldn't be on psychotropic medications so well, but 
you know, let me give you a very, very simple example that I think illustrates my point, which is okay. that I don't – I mean, okay, I'm weird, and because I'm a satirist and a comedian, I feel like it's okay on Facebook oh, for me to Oh, there's more? Yell. I thought that was the point. I Like, I'm <laughs> weird. This is like, okay, that does, that does yeah. solve a lot of problems. That's the point. I make really obnoxious, screamy, taunty, tantrumy status updates when the baseball playoffs are going on on Facebook. Lies. And I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> like, but here's the point. Like, other people might be very reluctant to do this because they would want their private life of being an insane sports fan separate from what they okay. are perceived as their public life. And so, for a world in where all actions are publicized, if I throw a basketball against the wall because the Knicks just lost a playoff game, I might right. not want that information to be available to a potential employer for a job interview the next week. You know what I mean? And I think that that's a very similar to the argument of why you would want your thoughts private rather than the actions. Well, and also apparently some people seem to be uh, sort of shocked that this – I mean they don't seem to get that point that they are putting things out there. Like I don't know if you heard about uh, Larry Johnson, the running back for Kansas City Chiefs, was just cut right. by the Chiefs today. Now this is a former yeah. big-time running back, and he was cut mostly – I mean first of all because he's been sucking. But also he was cut because he – Yes, he posted... was on my fantasy team until he was suspended and I dropped him. I'm all too well aware <laughs> yes. of exactly Larry Johnson. You were ahead of the moral curve there, Stories. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so right. he was cut, and he was cut largely because of a um, slur – a, mm-hmm. a slur against gays, which he posted on his Twitter account, and which he then repeated later on to reporters. And this is sort of one in a long line of athletes posting things oh, on he Twitter. Was cut more, frankly, frankly, he was cut much more because he criticized the management of his. Oh team. no, he did that the too. Slur, I know that's I true. Yeah, no, that's a good point. But I guess the yeah, that, but that was also on Twitter. I guess the point right. is that, and he seemed like, and a lot of these athletes seem like. Oh, you mean people read that? Uh, like, yes, like of course they do, and it's as if they can't—they mm-hmm. uh, can't understand. They can like, oh, doing this, lol. This is great, lol. And then my boss sucks, lol. And it's like, wait, what, you mean there are consequences for saying this? And I think right. you know that's kind this of coming the... from the people who, when I was enraged at my boss and then wanted to hold back some of this information, pressed me further and further. No, you must tell us mm. because that was for your own good story. How we went in the interview. We were like the Big Brother um, Facebook, right? Yeah, no, I mean, I right, and I mean, I guess that like speaks more than anything to my point about like people should be aware of like like the faster that people let go of their illusions about privacy, then the faster this will all be okay because like. But it won't you know, be okay according to this. You'll just a, have accepted that, that it's horrible. People's lack of awareness. Like I would argue that it's great that we all know that Larry Johnson is a like roaring homophobic asshole because that's like a it encourages him not to be, and b. Like, now we know and we're more informed about, like, that we shouldn't revere someone who's actually a jerk. So what is the harm that's done by having that information out there in the public? Like, I think that's great. I guess this gets back to what – and let me just say, by the way, that he was cut before he could surpass um, the rushing record of the previous Kansas City Chiefs running back, Priest Holmes. So he was cut before he could pass a priest, I just want to point out. Um, I uh, But the other thing I was going to say was that, you know, thinking about the – I. I and I totally forgot it. I was so I was so excited about making the priest joke that I totally forgot what else I was going to say. That's really upsetting. I had a really good point to make too. Oh, I know what it was. Okay. Um. So the whole you know the roaring homophobic thing. Um. I guess right. that gets back to what the Greeks said, which is that character is destiny, right? And I guess eventually this stuff is going to get out anyway. Right. And so if it's going to get out anyway, then. But I guess the point is. It seems to me this broadens the scope, though, right? Like, if you say something that you shouldn't say to somebody, you react, you say something you shouldn't say, and I'm not Mm -hmm. using a homophobic example, but, like, say, you know, you react and you swear at somebody or do something like that. If you say that to one person 
you know, you can yeah. A, apologize to that person, and B, sort of diffuse the situation. Even if that person goes around and tells everyone that you swore at them, it's not likely mm-hmm. to have an, a massive effect because, you know, they're just these people, whatever. If, on the other hand, you do this and everyone in the world sees it on Twitter or everyone in the world sees it on Facebook, right. all of a sudden it gets way out of your control for a reaction that is sort of a normal human reaction that anyone could have had. And so I do wonder a little bit about that. It's sort of the instantaneous access because there's everyone at once is able to see it, you know? Yeah, but I mean, I see. I feel like, I mean, you use the example of swearing because that's something that we don't like. What if the reaction is like you hit your wife in anger? Like, that's something we have a very strong interest in deterring. It's what like, are you talking well, about if? Know, What's this if you, story? Jeez. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Oh, damn. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, you know... <laughs> okay, <laughs> to back it out of that, you know, like, a hypothetical the, the wife, train was not derailed Clea, today in Princeton, one but. hits one's hypothetical wife, you know, and like just out of anger, and it's like, oh, that's something that you can keep private and sort of quell, and it's like, oh, wifey knows it's not a big deal, like she knows it's all in good fun, and like I'll get her flowers and chocolates <laughs> later, and blah, 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 as opposed to if it's like publicized, then it becomes a big deal, and we all know hitting the wife isn't a big deal, like that's like, you know, yeah, you can use that as an example, I think that the reaction is proportional to the problem that it creates. And like, frankly, most people do swear at people when they're angry and say things that are a little exaggerated or beyond what they mean. And like most people would forgive other people for that information being publicized. Whereas the really problematic stuff that people are able to keep private in the status quo would come to light and people would go, oh, wow, that's a really big problem. Like, I think it's commensurate with, I mean, you know, and this is very much, I mean, it's very exciting to me because I don't believe in you know, coercive force that is the baseline of every state that has ever been created in human history. And what I do believe in as a sort of, you know, as an element of encouragement of better behavior rather than coercive force is shame and like public information and sort of holding up people against judgment and a better moral standard. And so I think that like this offers a very tangible, feasible, near-term manifestation of what I think should replace coercive force as the main, like, socially utile motivator in our society. But so, I, mean, I, don't, but, I don't understand. Part of, like, if shame is the biggest motivating factor, doesn't that discourage independent thought in all ways? Because you could even shame someone into not, you know, thinking things that are out of the bounds of the current society would be something that, you know... Right, like shame. Shame becomes a coercive force in its own right. Like you I know, don't some, think it becomes, in, no, in but our... I mean, I don't think it becomes coercive because the worst is like what people are going to think of you. So people like oh, you don't think that's let coercive? go of caring what other people think of them, then are pretty much independent and free thinking. And like I don't know, those you can stories. be a free thinker if you do. And then those free thinkers way. beat their wives to no repercussions because yeah, but I don't think by... most people. You know, I mean, I think that it leads to people who. You know, and obviously there's a little bit of question begging here, and we can debate around about this for a long time. But my general thesis is that it will lead to people who have the strength of their conviction and their conscience in being right about something that the rest of society doesn't agree with still standing up to themselves, whereas the people who have the double force of society and their conscience both arguing against them changing their behavior. So people will generally go towards what is correct. That's how I think it would generally work out. But, I mean, imagine yourself for a minute that you are someone living, let's say, in Alabama or, well, (laughs) or you're living in Maine, actually, (laughs) Um, and you start posting something about on Facebook about how you're, you know, you you want some gay marriage referendum to pass that supports gay marriage or something like that. 
Um, I mm-hmm. mean, if you're depending on where you are, there could be an enormous amount of force, coercive and otherwise, brought to bear on you for you know holding that position. I mean, if you're kept out of social organizations that could advance your career, if you're kept out of this, that, and the other because you posted this information about how you support gay marriage, it's if you, even if you're shamed into believing, how could you ever think that? It seems to me that you're suggesting there's some kind of baseline that I don't know automatically exists about what we accept and don't accept. I mean, you know, yes, everyone thinks that beating one's wife is wrong and you know the public mm-hmm. is sort of analysis of that would make it even would just sort of bring to light something that already everyone disagrees with but since obviously some of these issues are controversial you know you post like uh you know i had an abortion or something on facebook mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you know you are shunned by you know members of the community you could argue well you shouldn't have been friends with them in the first place but what if that's your only community i mean what if that's the only one you have is you know people in the society around you you know people in your neighborhood people that sort of thing. Well, one so, of the great things about the internet is it connects everybody, so you can find the community that you should be a part of. Yeah, but so it means that you then do- doomed yourself to no physical contact, and it all has to be virtual. I mean, it's... no, I don't think so. I mean, people have a, d- a pretty decent degree of like actual real life mobility for the most part. I mean, some people uh, don't. Like that's not and accurate. That's, that's fact not true. of the socioeconomic problems, but that's not the internet's fault. That's that's the capitalist society's fault. Yeah, but the, but the internet exacerbates the problem. I mean, in the case of, you know, I mean, like, first of all, it's not true that they have, you know, mobility in a lot of cases. You know, people do not have, this is the argument about why you need to make abortion equally legal or gay marriage equally legal because a lot of these people don't, can't just, you know, pull up stakes and move somewhere else because they don't have the financial, you know, wherewithal to do so. So it's the same thing here. I mean, they can't right, leave their the communities. but that's the fault of the capitalist society that I, I understand that. that has, that's totally neutral to the internet reality. Well, but the internet like, makes it worse, though. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, the internet in this case uses, you know, takes that weakness or takes that flaw and opens the flaw, increases the force I mean, of the flaw. if that's the worst argument against internet publicity, I'm not terribly compelled. Like, if that's the if that's the biggest harm that I have to bite out of it, then so be it. I, like, just, I just think there's a lot more people affected by that. financial flaws. In our but it's not society. financial. Like, it's psychological. Anyway. But it's psychological. I think there are a lot more people affected by this than you think. I mean, I, I, just, I just don't think you're being fair in the amount of people that would be impacted by this and couldn't say what they thought. You know, I mean, in, here's the thing, Greg. Like, so let's let's look at intolerance. Like, let's look at what you're actually talking about. You're talking about situations where people have a lot of shame and intolerance around, you know, particular social decisions that people make. A lot of the time, the people who are bringing to bear the greatest degree of that shame and judgment on those people are people who are in the category that they are shaming themselves. Okay, we see this all the time with Republican Congress people and things like right. that, who yep. are actually closeted homosexuals who are super, super homophobic as a front so that nobody ever finds that out. Okay, my argument would be that most of these situations, a lot of the people who are probably really judgmental, and, you know, I mean, I'm probably a person who's really judgmental about abortion to, for full disclosure's sake, but, like, a lot of the people who are really judgmental about abortion are probably people dealing with their own shame at their own sexual history or abortion situation. If you had universal publicity, then the weight of those people being able to shame those other people and the hypocrisy would be revealed and it would all come down like a house of cards. And I think that that would naturally actually lead to a lot more acceptance if people had to own the things that they had done in the past themselves. It's actually when people have an information imbalance and they can hold back what, what you know, they're just better at covering up what's bad about their, their history that they're able to sort of leverage the kind of negative shame that I think you're talking about. I don't know. 
<laughs> I have nothing to add to that. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, that's, you know, I, so again, like I think that I think the middle ground, like doing it halfway is very dangerous potentially because it does give into what you're talking about of like some people would have, a you know, ability to cloak things and some people wouldn't. But I think that most of the really negative damaging things that you're talking about come from people who themselves, the only reason that they're not, the tables aren't turned is because they can hide their own information. Probably. So it has to be universalizable. Probably. You know? And that's, that's of course, the problem in a lot of these cases is how do you universalize it, you know? But, I, right. I still yeah. think that there's there's a danger inherent in the full publicity of everything all the time without any controls over it because then you get to the thing of, you know, you can center somebody's joke that they made once. If, I mean, you know, it's assuming you have access to all information at once, that you're omniscient right. because of this new internet, then you can say, oh, he made a joke about how all of these people should die. Um when he clearly, you know, maybe he was drunk or maybe he was off the cuff or maybe he didn't mean it, but then he has to, you know, uh, be accountable for that as if that were one of the highlights of his career because that's what's picked out on some search engine of all knowledge of this person in the future. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's obviously filtration issues. Like, I think that things sort of end up self-selecting to a large extent because nobody can spend all of their time just sort of filtering through every little thing. So naturally, larger things will rise to a naturally larger degree and you know i think yeah context is important like but i don't know i mean i i also just sort of fundamentally don't buy a lot of the argument that like people do or should be allowed to do things that they can immediately like oh i didn't mean that when the impact of what they you know we see this with public figures constantly oh i didn't mean to sleep mm-hmm. with that other person or say that horribly racist offensive thing it's, I really meant you know oh I apologize oh I was taken out of context blah 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 and I think like deterring people's ability to do that is also generally positive like you know like drunkenness should only be so much of an excuse I don't know but you I know mean, again I like I think that it just all all of these things would ultimately lead toward people being more thoughtful about their actions being more measured and reasonable and as a result, better society, better decisions, better choices, better society, better living through Big Brother. And more junk mail. And more junk mail. And more junk but, mail. You know. And speaking yeah. of junk <laughs> and mail, um, like junk mail, we uh, junk mail has overstayed its welcome, and we don't want to overstay ours. Uh, and so we uh, need to wrap up for okay. this particular show. I we thought wanna... you were going to say that you still don't want your mail junk on the That's good. That is good. That's a good line. And disturbing. Um, so I'm going uh, to wrap up right now. Uh, we want to thank everyone for being here. Um, thank everyone for checking in and uh, saying hello. And please keep checking out the website and so forth. And uh, we will see you guys very soon. Say goodbye, everyone. The proceeding was a presentation of the MEP Report, hosted at www.mepreport.com. All rights reserved. In no way should any part of this show be construed as an invitation to buy, sell, or trade flightless birds, or reassemble Voltron, or at least not the stupid one in the cars. Please support the MEP Report by voting for the show at www.vitalpodcast.com, adding the show to your list of favorites at podcastpickle.com, and clicking on the Vote for MEP link on the MEP Report homepage to vote for us at podcastalley.com. Email us at Greg, Russ, Story, or Andy at mepreport.com, and call us and leave a voicemail or a fax at 206-600-MEP1. That's 206-600-6371. And finally, please join the fight to stop the senseless farming of emu plants. It's immoral, it's unethical, and frankly, it's just a little bit gross. Tomorrow's just another day away.